I'm going to pray. We're going to go there. Uh, God, thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for Jesus and, and what he's done for us, um, calling us back, recon, reconciling us back to God. Don't ever let us forget uh, that gift, Lord, especially as we get um, in, the, in the groove of this holiday season, God. I pray that, um, that we would remember the, the, the simple love that we all have been given, but the deep sacrifice that it was given with. So uh, this morning, God, I pray the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, chapter six. Last week we talked about, I'm just going to turn the heat down a little bit. I know, I'm sorry, but it's hot. <laughs> Flicks could kill. I'd be a dead man. Um, and we talked about this idea of um, the work of belief. And it's, this is not about us earning God's love. It's not about us earning God's salvation. But when we receive this gift of love, we receive this gift of salvation, there's a work involved in what belief actually looks like. like that our belief in Jesus would guide and move and affect our life and our faith journey. So there is, there is this work of believing and that's why when, when, they, when they, these people, they ask Jesus, well, what is, what is the works of God that we have to do? Jesus answered, the work of God is to believe in me. And we said, remember last week, that sometimes, I mean, the devil believes in Jesus. So what? And so there's this, this work, this allowing our belief to affect our life, to, to look inward and allow Jesus to change us. Now, I can imagine that after Jesus had... Um, he had said, you know, the work of God is to believe in me. This is to a Jewish population who has 613 laws that they needed to follow, shoulds and should nots. And Jesus says, and Jesus says the work of God is to believe in me. There must have been a collective hmm from this crowd as, as they start to think. Now, Jesus has their attention. He's been doing some really cool stuff. Just the night before, they want to make him king. He's healing people. They're seeing these things. The boys, his disciples, they have just seen him walk on water. Not many people are walking on water. I've only seen it one other time. I think it was either Chris Angel or David Blaine did it. And as you can imagine, it was a trick. So not many people since then have walked on water. Jesus has this crowd's ear. He has their attention. He pulls no punches. He says this, work of God Believe in me. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 30 of chapter 6. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They asked him for a sign. Oh, really? We should believe in you. The work of God is to believe in you. That's very nice. Now, what are you going to do so that we can see a sign so that we can believe you? This is a very common idea in this culture. They have to see something in order to believe. They need proof. Now, they've already seen some amazing signs. Jesus has fed 5,000 people, more people than that. He's healing the sick. But they require of him a sign so that they will believe. 
And they will require and ask of him of something very specific. They have something very specific in mind that they want Jesus to do in order for them to believe who Jesus is. And I'll tell you, their attitude as a crowd at this point is really poor. It's very sarcastic. When they say to him, what will you do? It's very like, oh, what are you going to do? That should be the tonality that it's used in. They do not believe Jesus can do anything to get them to believe that what he says is true. This crowd has the priority of the here and the now. Literally, the night before, he just fed them. They see this amazing miracle. They want to make him king. The next day, they're like, yeah, what are you going to do? And they forget what Jesus has already done. They are about the here and the now. They lack a basic, fundamental understanding of what faith actually is. Jesus said in chapter 4, you know, you people, unless you see signs or wonders, you're never going to believe. But they've seen signs and they've seen the wonders and they still do not believe. Now, I'm going to be honest. And I know, you know, we're, we're working through getting, you know, trying to be honest in church. Um, in my own faith, I recognize that I ask God in prayer to do certain things in certain ways at specific times. Anybody there with me? Yeah? Okay. So, so, so we go and we ask God. My prayer life sometimes is very detailed. I have specifics of, of when and the place and sometimes the amount that I need. The new iPhone S. I'm sorry. I digress. Uh, so, so, but but it, it says in the Bible that we are to make our requests known to God. And so as a good Christian follower of Jesus, I make my requests known to God, sometimes very detailed. And so we really can't look down our noses at these people, say, you, you, we believe what they're saying to Jesus. I mean, come on. They're asking him to do something else because we ask God for specifics all the time. And sometimes, you ever found this? Sometimes when you pray, God actually answers in the exact way that you've prayed it. Like, like you've, you've prayed for this thing, and that thing has happened. And for whatever reason, that God was thinking, whether, whether you're praying according to his will, that's a whole sermon in and of itself, or just by the grace of God and his mercy, God has answered your prayer, my prayer. And you know what happens to me when that happens? My faith jumps forward. My trust deepens. My belief gets stronger. We ask God, God answers, and I trust just a little bit more. Because really, we're no different from those people that have seen Jesus. We are materialistic people. We like to see evidence. We like to see proof. We all hold God to some self-made, self-imposed standard. And when God and, and our faith and belief ebbs and flows in relation to how God meets those standards, that's who we are. And so we can't shake our heads at these people. Now, Jesus, it's interesting. He talks about faith and belief all the time. He tells people, your faith has healed you. Other people, he's amazed because he hasn't seen such faith. 
And he tells people sometimes, hey, your faith is pretty good. And then he calls people out and says, oh, you of little faith. And there's this one story where, where Jesus, he doesn't seem, he can't really do much because the people just lack faith. There's a story in the Gospel of Mark that um, uh, his disciples, they're, they're out there and they're healing and they're wheeling and they're dealing and they're doing all this cool stuff, but they can't heal this demon-possessed boy. And the father comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, your, your disciples can't do anything for my son. This demon has thrown him in the fire and he's throwing him in the water. He's trying to kill him. And I love Jesus' response. He, he says, how long shall I put up with you? I love Jesus in the Gospel of Mark because he's not the hippie love Jesus. Jesus is aggravated in the gospel. There's one story where his disciples are afraid to ask him a question because he's just going to thump down on them. And, and so, and so this, is, this is Jesus. He's like, oh, how long am I going to have to put up with you? And then he says to the father, um, everything is possible for the one who believes. And the father says, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. There's no but in there. There's no, but he says, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. The father both believes and has faith. But on the other side, he recognizes he doesn't believe. And he lacks faith. His story is our story. And our story is his story. And Jesus doesn't come down on him for his openness and his honesty Jesus will heal this man's son. I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. And so I wonder for us, have you ever looked inside and said, where are you? Where am I in my faith? Where am I in my belief? Have you ever prayed to God, God, help me in my unbelief? What would your life look like if you walked in a deeper faith? in a deeper unison, in a deeper trust with Jesus? How would that affect your daily life? How would that affect the people that you come in contact with every day? It's a great question to ask. It's a great prayer to ask. And so this crowd wants to hold Jesus to a certain standard. They want him to meet their need, which they really don't believe that he can do in the first place. They really want him to produce manna, that stuff from heaven, that what is it stuff, which is a little strange because manna is kind of like bread. And just the night before, Jesus did this amazing miracle where he fed thousands and thousands of people with bread. But for them, this crowd, it's, that was a one-shot deal. One night, they had some nasty bread and some boiled fish. Moses gave them manna, or so they thought, for 40 years in the desert. Now, you have to understand, in Jewish belief, when the Messiah comes, there will be a reoccurrence of God's manna given to the people. And so they're waiting to see this. When God's manna comes back, then they will know that the Messianic age has come again. And so this crowd has this, this little bit of expectation. It seems to be growing, but, they, but they're still doubting. I mean, Jesus gave them bread, but can he crank it up a notch? and give them bread from heaven. Verse 32. Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread, the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus tells them, all right, listen up. This is going to be important. The bread that your ancestors ate in the wilderness did not come from Moses. Your survival in the wilderness did not come from Moses. It came from God. Once again, you've got it all wrong. Once again, you have messed up what's going on. You have a wrong thinking. Your sustenance came from God. God supplied what you needed when you wandered for 40 years. Not Moses, not any man. And now God wants to give you true bread from heaven, something that can sustain you on a much deeper level, something that goes beyond filling your bellies. How many of you here have ever received a promotion at work? You raise your hand. The other of you need to work harder. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) How about gotten a raise? Yeah? How many of you live in a place? Like live in a place, like house, apartment, whatever. Yeah. Some of you are like, uh, I don't know, where's he going with that? All right, all right. And in your place of residence, do you have electricity? Show of hands, yeah? Excellent. Heat? Well done. TV? Anybody have more than one TV? Anybody have more than one high-def flat screen? Amy, can I have yours? Second one? <laughs> And, and how many of you maybe have cable TV? Oh. Huh? Nickelodeon? Rock on, man. True Jackson. What was it? The dude on True Jackson? What was his name? Who? Megan had to be home at a special time because True Jackson had this hot boy. Right. You could pray for me. Anyways, and, and, and how many of you, and how many of you, um, and, 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 and you have these things in your home, and how many of you pay for those things in your home, like heat and electricity and cable? How many of you pay for that from, from the money that you get while you're working, from working? Most of you, okay. That's very, very interesting. Some of you, well, how many of you work hard for your money? Uh-huh. <laughs> I knew somebody was going to get out there. <laughs> So, so, okay, so some of you, you, you have stuff and, and you work hard for your money. Excellent. Some of you have some really nice things. Either they've been given to you or you've worked hard and, and you've earned them. And some of you have, have um, you know, you live, in, you live in a nice house. You have electricity. You have, like, really cool things. But in reality, none of us can take any credit for a single thing that we have because it's all been given to us from God. Our ability to work, our ability to earn, our home, electricity, water, TV, cable, iPhone, all have been been given to us. God has allowed us to have those things. Every day that's given to us is given to us by God and he will ultimately allow us to do the things that we do. Now, for me, I have to recognize that the day-to-day stuff, like the everyday stuff, credit's all mine. I, I just, I, it's just the way I am. The big stuff, you know, you know, I, I, I'm healthy. Thank you, God. You know, all the, the, yeah, I give glory to God for that. But the, but the little stuff, yeah, my credit. I take credit 
for the little stuff. I play racquetball with, with Dave Miners on Tuesdays. And um, we've been playing for months now, six weeks. So we got like 12, 15 games under our belt. Finally, this last Tuesday, third game, okay? We're battling it out. I finally win. Hold your applause. Hold your applause. It, it's, it's just my, my astounding skill level is advancing nicely up to the point where I just laid it down, pulled it out, 16 to 14, because you got to win by two. I beat him. Or he went easy on me and let me win. But other than I don't, I'm not quite sure. And, and now, and now, Joel and Paul, they're my next victims, his sons. Talking snap. <laughs> oh, I'm in trouble. But you know, until I started, started going over this teaching and thinking about it, um, I would have never given God credit or glory for racquetball. Now, listen, I'm not one of those guys that over-spiritualize this stuff. You know, I don't believe God loves Black Friday because look at all the sales he lets happen. I, I'm, I, I'm not there. But just the fact, just the fact that I am able to exercise, that I can, that I can run around, that I can play racquetball is a gift of God. And that every day I miss giving God the glory because the glory is all mine. And these people are missing the point. These people believe that Moses had sustained them in the desert for 40 years. And Jesus says, you are giving credit to the wrong person. It is God. God took care of them. God was their sustenance. God allowed them to survive. It says in the Old Testament that their sandals didn't even wear out. That is God's provision. And for us, we have to recognize, continually, every day recognize that everything that we have has been given to us by God. And he tells them this, listen, God gives. um, It's a continual process. God wants to give you true bread, true sustenance, life from heaven. God supplies and will continually supply our needs, not from his poverty, not from his leftovers, but the Bible says from his richness. He calls it true bread from heaven. Now, bread in the ancient world is, is a very interesting idea. It is, was, was a very important part of their everyday diet. In fact, in some ancient cultures, when bread and salt were shared between two people, it created a a mutual bond of protection, meaning that if Chris and I shared bread and with salt, that then he would look out for my well-being and then I would look out for his well-being. And it would be this honor system. This is how important bread was in the ancient cultures. Now, in the ancient Jewish Jewish culture, bread, when you ate bread at a meal or ate bread, it constitutes a meal. And a meal was a big deal in the ancient cultures. They would sit down and they would, they would eat for a long time. Not for, they didn't have fast food back then. It was something where you sat down, you took your time, you talked, you enjoyed it. And if there was bread at the table, it was a meal. If there was no bread, then there wouldn't be a meal. And in the Jewish tradition, they would thank God for the bread. They would say that prayer. Um, I have it here. Uh, Blessed are you, God, king of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. They specifically thank God for the gift of bread. Now, in my study this week, I came across some very interesting stuff from some ancient rabbis as they were kind of 
thinking about um, the prayer of thanks and bread. In the Jewish tradition, when you, when you uh, thank God for a blessing, you always thank God for the blessing and for the source of the blessing, meaning um, thank you, God, for the grapes that you bring forth from the vine. Thank you for the apple that comes forth from the tree. Thank you for the, the wheat that comes from the ground. You always thank God for the source of, of where that blessing has come from. And the ancient rabbis had noticed this, but they noticed that the blessing or the thank, the thankful prayer for um, bread is, thank you, Lord, for giving us bread from the earth. And they said, well, bread doesn't come from the earth. Bread, the grains that make bread come from the earth, but the final product doesn't come from the earth. And so they started to think and they started to mold this over. They went back to the garden. They said, well, if, if in the garden, God created all of these trees, that you can eat, they can eat anything from what kind of trees were in the garden? What kind of trees could they actually eat? And they came to this idea that there must have been a bread tree that Adam and Eve did not have to make or bake their own bread. Now they based that on this verse in Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter or you don't have to go there, but I'm going to go there. Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to read this quick verse for you. This is after the fall, after everything goes south. God is kind of laying down the discipline. In verse 19, it says this, By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Now, the word for food is the actual Hebrew word for bread. From the, from the sweat of your brow, you will eat your bread. Because of sin, because of our mess up in the beginning, somehow that has killed off the bread tree. This is what some ancient rabbis have written and actually talked, that now our very sustenance will have to come from hard work. Also in the Jewish tradition, bread is related to wisdom. They say that um, in in ancient Hebrew texts that wisdom will feed a person the bread of understanding. Whoever eats and drinks of her, meaning wisdom, will hunger and thirst for more. Also, bread was kind of a symbol of Torah in in the Jewish tradition. There's a, there's a book called the Mishnah, and the Mishnah takes the, the Jewish oral law and it creates, um, it creates ideas on how to live it out. It's kind of an explanation, a day-to-day explanation of how to live out this, this oral law. And it's written in the Mishnah that says that where there is no bread, there is no Torah. Where there is no Torah, there is no bread. What the rabbis say that, listen, if there is no physical sustenance, then the, God of, then, then the, the word of God cannot exist there. And if the word of God is nowhere to be found, then there is no physical sustenance. Bread is very important in the Jewish tradition, in the Jewish culture that Jesus is growing up in. And in the Bible, bread and nourishment go hand in hand. To have bread means you're nourished. To be nourished means that you have bread. Jesus is telling these people that there is bread. There is a nourishment that God wants to give. It begins with God. It's the nourishment that will bring life, that will sustain life. It will be finally all that you need. And the people just don't get it. Just like the woman at the well, when Jesus says, I will give you living water, she says, well, 
Give me the water so I don't have to come back here. These people will say, give us this bread all the time. They want the bread all the time. Just like the manna that came, that was free, that, that was on the ground, and all they had to do was collect it, they want something for free. Just like maybe in the garden when the bread tree was there, that they did not have to work for bread. They say to Jesus, yeah, okay, give us this bread all the time. They're missing Jesus' message. They think that it's all about what the here and now and what they want here and now and how they can fill their own bellies and how they can make their life easier. And to top it off, they really don't think Jesus can deliver this anyway, but they figure, what the heck? He's here. Let's ask him anyway. They cannot see beyond themselves and they ask for plain old bread. They, they, they're missing. They don't realize the gift that Jesus is giving them. And in this whole conversation that is taking place, he is really throwing down. He is calling them out that they have a wrong idea of what's going on in front of them. They have a wrong idea of who God and what God is. They have a wrong idea of what the Messiah will be. Give us bread, fill our bellies, put something in our pockets that we could take home. And Jesus will answer him with this, verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. With this one statement, Jesus lays it down. Make no mistake about it. He says, I am the bread that gives life. It's not manna. It's not barley bread. It's nothing that you put in your mouth. It's nothing that fills your bellies. I am the bread of life. It's a very forceful statement, um, even, calling, even, even calling it out to, to say that he is part of the divine. This is the first of the seven I am statements that, G, that John records in the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, I am, and it reveals something about himself, reveals something about who he is and what he's doing here. I am the bread of life. And he's calling upon that story in, in um, the Old Testament where, where Moses is standing in front of the burning bush. And the burning bush says, yeah, go, man, you got work to do. And Moses says, well, who am I going to say sent me? And God says, tell them, I am has sent you. And Jesus links this, this divine name of God, I am, and he links it with the symbol of nourishment in life, bread. He says, I am the bread of life. When Jesus speaks, God speaks. When Jesus acts, God acts. Jesus is the sustainer of life. He holds everything together and holds it in its place. And I'm sure that just as that statement today rubs people wrong, it must have rubbed people wrong back then. Jesus is God's wisdom. First Corinthians says that Jesus became for us wisdom from God. And not like the wisdom that their ancient writers wrote about where, where it would feed you, but you would still be hungry and thirsty for more. Jesus says, you will no longer hunger and you will no longer thirst because I am the bread of life. And in the, in the Jewish tradition, Torah was the giver of life and the sustainer of life. Jesus says, no longer will Torah just cut it for you. I sustain life. 
I give life, both spiritually and physically. It's not Moses. It's not manna. It's not wisdom. It's not the Torah. It is me. I am the bread of life. Jesus has come to satisfy the deepest needs of humanity. And I have to wonder, um, why is it that generally followers of Jesus move through life so unsatisfied? So wanting, so in need. Uh, one writer I came across this week, one writer, I'm puberty here. Um, <clears throat> one writer this week, um, this, this woman I was reading, I forget her name, and she said, um, and she wasn't a Christian, but she was talking about Christians. And she said, you Christians treat your faith like it's a headache. And, and, and it's like, you don't want to cut your head off, but it's still really uncomfortable for you to keep. And I wonder if that's the way we appear to some people out there. What, what are we missing? If we have the sustainer of life, if we have the giver of life, it's a gift. It's here. I am the bread of life. I am the wisdom of God. I am the word of God. What are we missing? And I'm, 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 I'm going to give you some thoughts on this really briefly, but I, I, will, I will preface it with this. I'm not fully understanding it all yet. And so I kind of, I ran out of time. And, and I said, well, I'm going to end it here because I really, I'm still developing my ideas on this. But this is, this is where I, I'm beginning to see. We live by the law. Whether it's, whether it's the Old Testament law or the self-imposed laws that we see in evangelical America, we live by the law instead of in a relationship with Jesus through grace. I think we have a misunderstanding of what grace is, and that's for another um, teaching. But we live under the law. Let me give you an example. Um, how many here believe that the Ten Commandments are a pretty good foundation to live by? Okay. Turn to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 3. Um, I'm start reading in verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could look, not look steadily at the face of Moses because of, of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Even the Ten Commandments are part of the law. And that law brings death. And that law brings condemnation. We try to live in a self-imposed system that we just never will be able to. to, to we'll never be able to get there. The Ten Commandments, I don't think were ever written for us to follow because we can't. The Ten Commandments are foundational, basic stuff, and we can't even get ten of them. 
The Ten Commandments show us how much we need a Savior. The Ten Commandments point to us and how much we actually need Jesus. And when we try to do it on our own, we ultimately fail. Grace is not the free ticket to do whatever you want. Grace is that thing that grabs a hold of us and just obliterates our pride. And, and I believe the, the, the beginning of all sin is pride. And like I said, I'm not, I'm not 100% clear on all my thoughts on this, so forgive me, but I just had to maybe tease you with this a little bit, and then maybe after Christmas we'll, we'll launch into this a little bit more. But this is not a license for you to do whatever you want. But this is saying, man, what is it that we are missing? Why are we holding our heads down all the time? Why aren't we living with joy and passion and excitement? Why do we look like a headache to the world? What are we missing? I want to end, you, I want to end with, um, with this verse from Matthew chapter 11. Um, and, and, and these are the words of Jesus, and it's, this is the message uh, translation or tra- whatever you call it. Um, and I want you to hear these words spoken to you from Jesus. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. What are we missing? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. No more by the sweat of your brow will you have to live your life for God. It says here, you will live freely. You will live lightly. You will have a rest. Come walk with me. Learn unforced rhythms of grace. Let's pray. God, um, thank you that Sometimes we don't always understand it all. God, I pray that, um, that you have birthed the seed here this morning that will begin to take a hold in people's hearts and they will begin the dialogue to try to figure this out, Lord. If there's something in their lives that's, that's crushing them and keeping them down, God, I pray that you would help them work through those things. God, if they they're fail to have joy and excitement in their life, Lord, I pray that you would begin the work to reveal that thing that's keeping them down. God, help us to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Teach us what grace really is, God. I pray, Lord, that, um, that your word, as it goes forth, um, continues to pierce and change, mold, guide, and direct us. Thank you for everything that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.